This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have John on from Questus, and our topic is enabling DEI initiatives with financial empowerment. It's a topic I haven't talked about, and I can't wait to uh, get into it with John. So, John, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Questus? Sure. William, thanks for having me. John Tab, I am the CEO and co-founder of Questus. We are a financial empowerment company, and we uh, care a lot about helping people with their uh, financial well-being um, through both uh, financial coaching and technology, um, support communities, all of those things. Um, always trying to focus on the hard hard topics with people's money. Um, and, and also, you know, change money mindsets and ultimately their behaviors. So, you know, it's, it's interesting when, when, when people started to use the word privilege with a kind of a negative connotation, this is years ago, but a few years ago, at least, um, I think initially I was offended. I think as a kind of white middle-class, lower middle-class, actually, uh, growing up, I thought like, you know, it's just to paint a brush with everyone that grew up white is somehow privileged or has some type of privilege. I, I just was, there was an affront. I felt offended for some reason. And then once I started to kind of unpack my feelings, I'm like, well, you know, there, <laughs> yeah, there's some truth to this. Like, like the, the, you know, it, it, it does hurt. And you know what? It's hurt a lot of other people in the opposite way. And I hadn't given that thought. I haven't given that, that, that enough thought and enough of my mind to think about how I grew up and how significantly different it was from uh, the marginalized people, folks that, that, that live on the edges and uh, people of color, people that just had different socioeconomic situations than myself. And so I, I like that you're thinking about you know, because of what y'all do for a living and how you help people, um, you're you're thinking about okay, you care about DEI. That's cool. You, you know, the, the, that's the first of all. I think it's great that we're 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 at a place where people are actually spending money on yeah. programs uh, that actually will help people. Um, but I haven't I haven't haven't had someone actually talk about the financial side, the the empowerment side, and how you know we can fix one side, like we can. You know, we can we can level the playing field with pay equity. Okay, let's just yeah. say we do that. Magic wand, magic wand, and okay, pay equity. Every everyone's paid equal. Done. It's it's done. That doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to be better off. And, yeah, no, it's very very true. I think uh, first off, I will uh, I agree with your sentiment that <laughs> I'm also a white male. <laughs> so this should. Be a great conversation. Um, oh, no, it, I, I, uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, my I, favorite. The, my actually, my favorite. I think uh, we might have talked about it a while back. My favorite DEI consultant is a uh, middle class white uh, marine from Nebraska, from right. Omaha, Nebraska, and who he is. Who would have thought? 
a Marine uh, yeah. and, a, and a white guy. And he is amazing uh, because yep. he's 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 fully thrown himself into it for 30 years to figure out what's going on and how to make it better. And so, so I don't, uh, yeah. So to your point, I think, uh, I mean, there's your, the, the gaps are, the gaps are pretty large. Yeah. Um, so magic wand, that would be great. Um, and, and I don't, you know, our company at Questus, we, you know, we don't have the power to wave the magic wand to change, uh, pay equity or, um, you know, a lot of these, you know, it, just people getting promoted equally and all of these things. And, um, what, what we can do is try to kind of level a playing field by offering benefits that benefit everyone. Um, and I can, I can give you some examples in a little bit, but I think also you're right. Even if you did wave the wand, you missed, you've missed, uh, you know, <laughs> there, there are certain classes of people and, and, you know, the people who are earning less, who didn't necessarily have the benefit of having conversations around the dinner table about their, you know, their finances or money or anybody helping them. I will say that not, not many people in general, um, <laughs> like of any, of any race, gender, any of this, you know, uh, uh, have enough conversations as a child or learn enough about personal finances. But I do think that sometimes minorities are definitely at an advantage there or disadvantage, uh, there as well. So th- there's an education gap. Um, and unfortunately education alone, um, you know, financial literacy as as important as it is, uh, as sort of as much publicity as it gets is not effective by itself. Um, you know, we have talked about this before, William, that the formula for doing something is, you know, a lot easier on paper than it is for actually getting it done. So I think that, uh, you know, it, it takes financial coaching and education and all that to, to kind of, uh, you know, reduce that gap. So. Right. So, so let's talk about examples that benefits everyone. Because I think yep. that's a great way to kind of start the conversation of okay, well, how do we, how do we, how do we think about programs when we think about uh, programs that, that would not just help one group of people or class of people, but programs that would help everyone. What are those? What are those programs? Look yeah, like I mean, the, the most obvious. Yeah, the most obvious thing to me is that I, I uh, my background is I was a financial advisor that or a consultant on. Um, mainly defined contribution plans. So 401ks, 403bs, um, went out, talked to employees about it, helped employers decide what was the best plan. And through all those conversations, it really led us to where we are today uh, in the whole financial well-being space. And that's because there were so many people that didn't, that, that weren't ready to talk about retirement and investments and portfolios and asset allocation and you know, basis points and fees and all that stuff. And it, they were, they were more concerned about the day-to-day finances and just making sure that, you know, ends meet and being able to have saved for an emergency or be able to handle an emergency. Um, so that's kind of what led, we, led us to where we are today. And I think that that's, that's what I mean by an equal, equal benefit. You know, we, we want to help everyone. Um, an example of something that doesn't necessarily help everyone would be a 401k plan, you know, that, might, that maybe people can't take advantage of. I mean, the less money you make, the harder it is to, to contribute to one of those. Um, the less educated you are, the harder, harder it is to contribute to it. Um, you know, student loan, uh, student loan benefits are huge now. You know, employers are starting to pay back student loans. I think it's, you know, very, very important for an employer to know the audience. Um, hopefully, you know, they've surveyed and they know how many people really do have student loans and how important it is. But are they, are they offering a benefit that's not 
you know, that, that certain people can't take advantage of. And so those are good examples. So, um, so let's start with financial literacy because, because I have this bit um, again, outside of uh, what was taught either by example uh, with your parents, relatives, friends, all that other stuff, or what was talked around the dinner table um, yep. outside of that middle school and high school, not taught. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Zero. I'll stop you right there. So, so get this. So we did a survey recently and uh, I think it, I'll probably get the number close, but it was like 60% of people learned everything that they know about their finances from making mistakes. <laughs> so, and like, that's, Oh, that's wait, okay. that's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. 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 That's okay. If you're trying to learn how to, you know, bake a cake or snowboard on YouTube, but you can't, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to mess that up and, and think about how long it might take you to realize how, you know, that you have messed it up, you know, and you're 50 years old and you haven't saved anything for retirement, you know? Uh, and it's like, there's just so many bad things that could happen if that's your only way of learning about it. So, so financial literacy, we, we it can't go backwards in terms of, in terms of what, what didn't happen in eighth grade. Uh, and all the bad experiences that we've had that let, have, have helped us along the way. I remember actually out of college, I, I, I don't know I, I, how, many, how many credit cards my wife and I had. We literally put them in a coffee can and lit them on fire. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it was immediately, uh, it was empowering. Like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And also... Scary. Oh, yeah. we, yeah. we don't, we don't have a safety net, right? right. Something happens. There's, there's, there's literally no card to go to. So good luck. I mean, it probably wouldn't, I wouldn't give this advice to other people. <laughs> there's a, there's a better way to do it. We just needed something symbolic because we had gotten ourselves into debt and we just didn't want to even have access to them. Yeah, something bold to jumpstart the uh, right, right, change. Right. Uh, that might, that was a, probably not advice I'd give other people. However, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see him on fire in that coffee can right. <laughs> in my mom and dad's garage, <laughs> just to see him on fire. Going, well, there you go. <laughs> That's done. Now what? Now how are we going to make this happen? Um, so with with literacy itself. You know, again, having a third party teach literacy to folks and kind of helping them. Um, what do you What do you find are, are some of the, the the best conversations that that coaches can have with with uh, with employees around financial literacy? Like, what where do we start? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's the there's kind of the X's and O's of of uh, personal finance, and most of it's fairly basic. You know, you spend less than you you make and you know it's important to save and automating savings and all of those things are, are really important having a some safety net um if something goes wrong and setting goals and i mean that's that's and then obviously like getting into the details on all of those decisions how would i save you know, what's the best vehicle for saving and what's the best you know like you said what's the best should i have a debit card should I have a credit card what kind of bank account should i have you know all that stuff is like tactical you could read we could teach it um but the biggest thing is actually doing it and following through, you know, and, and making sure that that someone's held accountable, you know, to actually do all of those things. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where the coaching and this kind of sort of support communities come in to help. So what do you think as we, as we look through the lens of DI, what, what do you think that's needed there 
that maybe we, <clears throat> maybe we need to over-index for DEI uh, as we do for our, our total employee population, but maybe uh, thinking about them and their needs specifically. Have you seen anything pop out in the data? Maybe you could state that a little bit differently. Sure, sure. Like, like again, like I'm thinking about the DEI uh, yep. executives that are listening to this. Yeah. And they're trying to think of, okay, well, where can we start to give, you know, maybe sure. that group of people some type of head start? Where do they need help the most? What do you, what do, is there anything that you've seen in coaching or, or your data that says, okay, with people that have been marginalized, uh, here's some of the things that, that you can do to really help this group of people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it's a good point. I mean, we, we, I think in the DEI, we're certainly the, the inclusion, you know, we are the I, we are trying to assist with the I probably the most out of all of it. And it's uh, and it really is just meeting people at the paycheck and wherever they are uh, in life. And I think that that's the big, and the conversations are all going to be different, but um, sort of catching them up on, on things that that no one's no one's not just taught them about, but no one's been there to help. Um, the financial services industry is, and I came from. I worked at Merrill Lynch, you know, in the early days of being an advisor, and our minimum account size kept going up. I mean, I think when I left, it was five hundred thousand dollars of of you know basically liquid assets. And if you think about just a workforce and who you're trying to help, that's you know that's got to be a very small number of that workforce. Right. Um, that would ever be eligible or have access to talk to a financial planner or financial advisor. So, and, and then there's, you know, the 80% in the middle that, that maybe they didn't, you know, they have access or maybe, I don't know if 80% would ever have access to that, but they didn't necessarily want that, you know, that sort of culture and that, you know, that relationship, it felt too, I don't know, too, uh, I don't know what the word is <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like they were too, too entitled to have it or something. I, it, right. But, but there's, but then, but then like, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to go. Um, and there's nowhere to learn all these things. And back to what you said earlier, you're going to learn, you're going to learn. You'll just learn through mistakes. And well, one thing I will say is that I talk to a lot of employers and generally the first place everyone's gone for the last 10 years you know, or five years at least is when they talk about financial wellness, they've, they've leaned on either their retirement plan advisor or their record keeper. Um, so the, you know, whoever the institution is, that's essentially the service you know provider that does the bookkeeping on the plan, provides the online experience for your accounts and all of that. And in, in most cases, and I can speak from experience because that's what I did, you know, I, <laughs> I took all the CFP stuff and I, I learned about retirement plans. I was never trained to help people with the problems that, that are out there today. Um, if somebody had, you know, crushing debt that they were, you know, that kept them up at night and they didn't know what to do about it. That's not a CFP that's going to help you. Um, a CFP is learning about complex estate planning and, you know, alpha and beta and sort of like portfolio metrics and stuff in the investing world and options. So it's, it's a, it's a different skill set to be able to help, people. And I guess my point is that when, when I talk to employers, they say, well, my 401k person comes out and they speak to everybody, you know, once a quarter about all kinds of topics. And I'm thinking, you know, they, they are not qualified to do that one. I'm sure. And, and they, they quickly agree that, yeah, you're right. It's not really what we want. We need more and we're not doing enough. Um, 
but there's just such a lack of, yeah. I mean, and, and really those people, if you look behind the scenes, most of them are motivated to find qualified, you know, qualified candidates to essentially convert to clients. And right, the right. people that need help are not qualified, you know, leads to convert to clients. So that's a huge, you know, conflict. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And the, uh, you unpack something that was really good for me, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, equality, belonging, all of these things that are uh, super important to companies and have been uh, at least in lip service, but now at least there's budget and programs and people in place. You, I like that you you put you know financial empowerment and financial wellness as the I. You know this yeah. is this is if we truly want to be inclusive. If, if the goal is to create an inclusive workforce, an inclusive workspace uh, for folks, then we have to care about their financial wellness. We have to care about financial empowerment. Uh, and so I, I love. First of all, I just love the the way that you've kind of positioned the I um, and, and for folks to think about it. And it's like, listen, we want to care and we need to care about that, that whole person, not just the person that they bring to work or the outputs of the job, but that whole person. And that whole person has a, you know, a lot, a lot of other things going on that, that don't show uh, and don't show up uh, necessarily at work. Um what other examples have you seen, you know, with, with clients without names and brands yep. and stuff like that, but whatever, what other things have you seen where people have tied or thinking about tying DI and especially inclusion to financial wellness and financial empowerment? Oh, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, gosh, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it, like the examples I gave are probably the, the, the best the best examples that I have of, uh, of just trying to, uh, you know, sort of supplement or, uh, sub, you know, I guess supplement, um, complement existing benefits, you know, that are already out there. Um, and because they just know that it's not doing enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the EAP think, model yeah. is that's been around for a while that doesn't go used because maybe there's a Sigma attached yep. to it. I think if we think about inclusion in this way, which I think is really, we're really important for folks to understand that we think about financial wellness of building the, you know, helping people with literacy, the building blocks. And now you have access to, you have access to coaching, you have access to people that'll help you. And there's no judgment on what, where you're at. You know, there's no judgment in terms of whether or not you're on your second mortgage or, you know, you, you lease cars rather than buy cars. Like there's no judgment. It's, it's where you're at and those coaches can then help you uh, coach you from wherever you're at to wherever you need, wherever you want to go next, which I think is inclusion uh, yeah. or, or, or a, me- a tactic of inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's, that's changed a lot. I think um, mental health has gotten, you know, it's a lot less stigmatized than it, than it was. Um, and we're, you know, we're sort of in the same, space of you know a benefit that's addressing uh, well-being and we talk to a lot of mental health uh, companies that are providing that service and it's, you know, it's very similar it's like it's much it's much more uh, acceptable to talk about that stuff now um, it's you know if you think about well-being as mental and physical and financial I mean people are you know they're stressed out of their minds just because of all the stuff that's going on and I mean maybe, maybe it's always been that way but it seems you know it seems to always be more and obviously people are, are not healthy in America. 
Um, and it used to be a thing where, you know, there was one overweight child and I was probably that child in my class, you know, many, many moons ago and got, you know, picked on. And it's like, now it's all caught up and there's you know, like people are, you know, no one's healthy. And the majority of people are, are sort of spending more than they should be and, and struggling and stressed out. So I think all three of those things have caught up and people are now like, gosh, how do we solve all these problems? It really represents all of us. The minority is the one that's, you know, got it all figured out, I guess. It's, so. it's yeah, you, you're familiar as I was with the, with the label on jeans, uh, Husky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, yes. who came up with that term i want to i want to meet that uh, guy in an alley somewhere yes, uh husky thank you yep. that's that was yep. really kind to get the husky beers uh yep. you know but but i i getting kind of going full circle to kind of where we started with with privilege it's some of this is luck too right so yeah, yeah. again very very middle middle class lower middle class myself and uh, when my wife and I were buying our first house, or at least going down the path, you know, this was uh, the late 90s. And so housing was crazy. Pay was crazy. Dot com was crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the real estate broker that we fell in love with wanted us to max out. Of course, of course they did. Right. Shocking, <laughs> not shocking. So the max at that time, I think, was 750. And so we started looking at houses. Now, this we've been married at this point, you know, five, six years. And <clears throat> we're both doing relatively well. Uh, but again, you know, I just, just told you the story about us burning all of our credit cards. So not that well. Um, and uh, and we were contemplating buying a $750,000 house. So we were looking around and, and these houses were great. <laughs> yeah. You know, these houses were fantastic. Uh, and, then, and then we he put us in touch with, and this is a total accident. He put us in touch with a mortgage broker um, who basically uh, sat us down and said, okay, tell me a little bit about your finances. Okay, what's going on? All right, yep, yep, yep. Okay, how much are you paying in rent? At the time, we were paying about $1,000 in rent. And, uh, and he, goes, he goes, okay. It'd be more than that. <laughs> yeah. He goes, here's the deal. Here's the rule. For your first house, it's just 10% more than what you're paying in rent. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's your budget. And Not he looked <laughs> Yeah, it's not no, it's not seven fifty, no. which of course brought the house home values down to about you know one hundred eighty thousand dollars, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and he said he goes when you get your first house, it, you can't feel because you're going to buy a bunch of new stuff, you're going to yep. buy a couch, you're going to buy all this stuff, and you're going to have home. It doesn't matter if you buy a new home or old home, it doesn't matter. You're going to have home stuff uh, that that's going to come up, and it's all this hidden cost that you're not thinking about. He goes. He goes, yeah, of course, the real estate broker wants you to max out because so, they get a yeah. commission for you to, to max out. It's yeah. in their best interest if you buy a $750,000. It's well, not in your best interest. That's a nice mortgage broker because he would also win in that deal. You know, he was, but, he was, he was independently wealthy. He had, he, had, uh, he had made money on a bunch of patents, and he was doing mm-hmm. mortgage, broking, uh, mortgage brokerage for fun, for mm-hmm. sport. And, uh, and, and I didn't believe him at first when he went through this, this bit with me, I'm like, yeah, that just can't be true. He hmm. said, well, let me drive you around. So he drove me around kind of an affluent part of Dallas, uh, Highland Park, uh, Preston Hollow. And he goes, I've written most of the paper in, <laughs> in this neighborhood. He goes, second mortgage, second mortgage, third mortgage, second mortgage, yeah. second mortgage, fourth mortgage, second mortgage, like 
literally we're just driving down the streets and he's pointing out houses, not telling me the families or any of the, the specifics, but just going, these people are leveraged over their heads. Yeah. He goes, and you don't want to start out that way. And you can, it's all avoidable if you just yeah. basically do what I'm telling you. I'm like, okay. And, and yeah. blindly, like, like, a, you know, like literally blindly, I'm like, all right, well, makes sense. And that's what we yeah, did. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, from an education standpoint, like you said, it doesn't take, it's some small decisions early on that compound and, and obviously things around spending and savings and just your mindset around money and what one of the most important things that no one ever sits there and thinks about is what actually makes them happy. Um, and if spending money and buying the things, you know, if you look back and you, and you went through your statement, you know, every month and said, or even shoot, fast forward a year, 12 months later and say, did that make me happy? Did that make me happy to, you know, each on each one. And it's kind of like, wow, probably could have not bought that. Um, right. and, and lots of different, it's just small stuff that all adds up. I love uh, it. And, and to your, and your point about, you know, luck. I mean, unfortunately, the the statistics and the the pay right. and, and all that stuff is is also compounds on itself. So, you know, it, it's if you if you have parents that can make you a loan or you know a friend or whatever it is, and and it's it, it's commonplace. You know, th- those people just get further ahead than than everybody else, and it just sort of compounds. So, I look look forward to the day that you know this some some of this stuff can be solved, and we can sort of you know, help, help facilitate that uh, be part of the solution. Yeah. I think, and again, getting back to DEI, these, some of that is some of that's luck and some of that's also, you know, having that support network around you that kind of keeps you again, accountable is the word you use, but keeps you in check because you get caught up. I speak the first time you make money, it might not be true of people that are come from affluence because I have no idea what that's like, but for the first time, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, I, I know what I know what it was like for my friends, and I did not come from that. <laughs> I, right. So, so, you know, for me, you know, I went crazy. Like yeah. the first time I started to really make money, I lost my brain. I I lost all. Like yeah. it, it took me a while to like, okay, all right, enough. That you know, stop. Uh, and I think that just having people to kind of keep you in check and, and coach you through that is, uh, it's a great way to think of inclusion. It's just a wonderful way to to think of inclusion in a way that we don't currently or we don't often talk talks about it. And again, it's for everybody because income right. doesn't, discri- doesn't discriminate, right? It, so it it's does a, not discriminate. If you look at the data, the same, you know, people making a hundred thousand dollars a year have the same problems, you know, it, it's a little less, but it's basically the same stuff. I love it. So. Well, John, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and, and such an important topic uh, that, that, again, we I haven't I haven't been able to unpack. So I, I thank you for bringing it to to our, my attention and for us to talk about it. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Absolutely, and thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.